My friends, this is one of my favorite days of uh, the year. Even though uh, this year, because of the cathedral construction, we didn't have the chrism mass this morning. Even though our AC cut out right before Holy Mass, and I'm wearing this double-lined vestment for one of the few days of the year, and I'm going to be a sweaty hot mess by the end of this liturgy. Uh, even with all that stuff, uh, I am just filled with joy. I'm filled with so much gratitude, uh, really overwhelmed by the love of this uh, amazing community. A uh, priestly example of our wonderful pastor, Father Kleiman, uh, Deacon O, and our very hard-working staff here at Bless, at Bless the Sacrament, St. Veronica. I, uh, your first love, you never forget. <laughs> uh, but I am... Uh, blessed, truly blessed to be here. Um, you know, tonight is really amazing what we celebrate here tonight, this Mass of the Lord's Supper, the beginning of a three-day continuous liturgy, the Triduum, a celebration of the institution of a trifecta. First, of course, and most importantly, the Holy Eucharist but also the ministerial priesthood and the new commandment to love, to love as I have loved you. Today, we are all invited into trust and thanksgiving more deeply. I do believe this trust and thanksgiving that we're called to are beautifully interlinked. For when Jesus ascended into heaven, he did not leave us alone. He ascended into the sacraments, two of which we celebrate here tonight, the Holy Priesthood and the Holy Eucharist. And he and the Father, they did send their spirit to form and guide our church. So we trust the Lord. We trust in him and his plan, and we are filled with thanksgiving. You know, the Holy Eucharist, Eucharistia, the most blessed sacrament, the source and summit of our faith, the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. As St. John Vianney said, there is nothing so great as the Eucharist. If God had something more precious, he would have given it to us. So we are consumed by trust and thanksgiving. You know, there is an important and beautiful continuity in the ancient Jewish Passover and the institution of the Holy Eucharist being revealed in today's readings. Let's set the scene. This first reading from the book of Exodus, it's the night of that first Passover and the tenth plague. You know, each of the plagues were ritual defeats of the pagan gods of Egypt. The Nile God ritually defeated when the river Nile ran uh, with blood, right? That first plague, the frog-headed fertility God ritually defeated by that second plague and on and on to the pagan sun God ritually defeated by three days of darkness. And then finally, of course, Pharaoh himself. Pharaoh considered to be Lord, considered to be high priest, defeated by the death his firstborn son, all the firstborn males, man and beast. God demonstrated the impotence, the powerlessness of the Egyptian pagan gods. 
and revealed himself so powerfully to be the one true God. And so we are called to trust and thanksgiving. My friends, we do know the story. The Israelites were told to sacrifice an unblemished lamb and to apply its blood to the doorpost and the lintel of their homes. The Lord then, of course, went through Egypt, striking down the firstborn males. But when he saw the blood on the doorposts and lintels, he passed over these blood-marked homes, and they were set free from slavery. Similarly, of course, the upper bar of Jesus' cross formed a kind of lintel. The cross, stained by the blood of the Lamb of God, is the door through which we find true, everlasting freedom. No one comes to the Father except through me. We celebrate that in a beautiful way tonight. My friends, the Passover was simply a celebratory meal, recalling Israel's freedom from physical slavery in Egypt. The Holy Eucharist is the meal celebrating our freedom from slavery to sin and the glorious freedom that is ours as children of God, so we trust and we are filled with thanksgiving. The responsorial psalm is also filled with so much symbolism. An important psalm for me in my vocation, Psalm 116. It was, it was recited during the Todah sacrifice, a sacrifice of thanksgiving, a peace offering. It was performed in thanksgiving to God for a specific act of deliverance. And unlike other sacrifices, it is very significant to note that the Todah sacrifice offered in thanksgiving for the Exodus was eaten. Some sacrifices were consumed in the fire, but this sacrifice was eaten by the people. The Thanksgiving sacrificial offering is perfected here tonight in this Holy Mass as we eat the greatest sacrifice, a peace offering made for all of us. We do this in Thanksgiving, Eucharistia. Of course, none of this would be possible without the second mystery we contemplate tonight, the ministerial priesthood. And I know it can seem a little uh, self-serving to preach about something that only Father Kleiman and I currently possess, but it is very important for us to speak about it and to understand uh, who uh, we are, who I am and who Father Kleiman is, not because we're great guys, but because the Lord has figured us to him in a particular way for a particular purpose. For St. John Vianney said, the priesthood is the love of the heart of Jesus. When you see a priest, he said, think of our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, how great is the priest. If he realized what he is, he would die. Only in heaven will he fully realize what he is. I know this struggle well. You have experienced this struggle. I am more and more humbled each day by my vocation. I'm humbled by the example of our wonderful pastor, and I'm still discovering who I am and what it means to be a priest. You know, every year on this day, I, I listen to uh, maybe the best homily I've ever, ever heard by Archbishop Socrates Villas of the Philippines. 
It's, uh, he's given the homily at the ordination mass in his uh, diocese, archdiocese. And uh, while it speaks specifically about men who are being ordained to the holy priesthood, this ministerial priesthood, I think there are many important parallels when we listen to what the archbishop said in regards to living out the common priesthood of the baptized that, that all of us here in this church have. There's much fruit, I think, in meditating on it. He, he uh, was speaking about this process. The formators would deliberate on the seminarians' best qualities. What are their good qualities? What are their strengths? But then it occurred to the archbishop to ask a different question. What are your weaknesses? Are you weak enough to become a priest? You need to be weak in order to become priests. You were called when you were weak, he says. I know this well. Do not dare to boast. You were called because of your weakness. Are you weak enough to rely solely upon the grace of God? We need you to acknowledge your weakness because all of your strengths are gifts from the Lord. Your weakness is totally yours. And your weakness is your gift to the Lord. The formators also ask whether they are holy and pious, of course, if they have integrity and character, important questions to be asked. But the archbishop also asked, is he broken enough to be a priest? Does he carry in his life enough brokenness so that God can make him whole? Because if there is not enough brokenness, there is not enough participation in the passion, in the dying of the Lord. Seminary formation, he says, is an exercise of breaking and breaking and breaking until you are crushed. This time, well, and when you are crushed, God will put you back together, he says, this time as a beautiful mosaic. I think the same is true of the life of a disciple, isn't it? That sometimes life crushes us, but then the Lord desires to put us back together as a beautiful mosaic. Formators then ask whether they were brave enough to weather the storm, brave enough to defend the faith. We're looking for brave men, he says, courageous men to stand up for the faith. Then it occurred to the archbishop to ask another question. Are you afraid enough to be a good priest? You must be courageous against error, but afraid of sin. You must be brave to stand up for the Lord, but must be a coward to be separated from him. You must be afraid, afraid of hypocrisy. You must be afraid of celebrating the mass and sacrilege. You must be afraid of lying. You must be afraid of lust and of comfort and convenience. Because all of these things distract from your real vocation, he said. Every day before Holy Communion, in our silent prayer, he says, we should say to the Lord, never allow me to be separated from you. Be afraid of that. Be afraid. Do not be afraid of death, though. Do not be afraid of sickness and old age. Be afraid only of being separated from the Lord. 
Oh, how I wish I could promise you a life that is easy and always peaceful, he said. But that will not be so. It cannot be. Because when God told you, come follow me, he actually meant, come and die with me. Every moment of your life should be a daily dying. This is true for all of us as well. God knows your weakness. God knows that you have been broken. God knows your fears. God knows you more than you know yourself. And the beauty of it all is, he says, even if God knows you inside and out, he still calls you. Come, my beloved, follow me. And I pray that I will, that all of us will follow him in total trust and in thanksgiving. You know, my friends, it's ironic that the Mass of the Lord's Supper that we celebrate here tonight, we proclaim the one gospel that does not record the institution of the Holy Eucharist at the Last Supper. Instead, we get the foot washing prior to that supper. You know, there's great symbolism, of course, in this ritual, even some priestly aspects to it. A kind of uh, figurative ordination rite, if you will, because priests would have to wash their hands and their feet before entering the sanctuary to offer sacrifice. The other message, of course, is very clear. If Jesus came to serve, not to be served, then each of us should do the same. Which brings us to the final aspect of tonight's liturgy, a message that is so countercultural these days when everything's me, me, and more me. Tonight we celebrate a new commandment. Before the Last Supper, of course, the Lord said, love God with your whole heart, mind, body, and soul, and your neighbor as yourself. But after he gives us himself in the Holy Eucharist, he calls us to love as he loves, literally unto death. We are all being called to love as Christ loves, sacrificially, to sacrificially love, to love until it hurts. Please, God, of course, we've all experienced great joy in giving ourselves away to another. That is what tonight is all about, giving ourselves over to the Lord and giving ourselves over to our neighbor. My friends, what an incredible liturgy we begin tonight. And what an amazing time to be alive in the history of the church, to be on the front lines in important spiritual battles. They have been drawn, and God is being truly generous to each of us. For tonight, we don't simply celebrate history. Rather, we celebrate mystery. And so it would be good to spend these days, these next weeks and months, and of course years, contemplating today's gospel and the question, do you realize what I have done for you? Let's allow these days and months and years ahead to bring about a greater longing for the Eucharist. An increased zeal by us priests, of course, and more generous prayer for us and a greater, even sacrificial love for our neighbor. There is some urgency, too, isn't there? If you haven't noticed, our world is a hot mess. May we all have our loins girt, sandals on our feet, and our staffs in our hand, like those who are in flight. 
for a new Passover is being offered, true freedom from slavery to sin. We've been marked by the blood of the Lamb, not on our doorposts, but on our hearts. It's marked us to the core. We've been washed clean and offered an inheritance, eternal life and true and everlasting peace. May we embrace this grace. May we allow it to truly transform us here tonight. May we share this grace. And may God be praised.